welcome back to the Social World Podcast. I'm Dave Niven, and as always, it's a pleasure to have your company. Now, today, um, I've been doing some, as you know, I've been doing some Voices from Ukraine podcasts and um, also talking to people in the UK who have been heavily involved in this matter as well. And one of them today is who my guest is. It's Andrew Tubman, who's the Services and Helpline Manager for the uh, UK Ukrainian Support Helpline from Bernardo's. Welcome to the programme, Andrew. Thanks very much, Dave. Yes, good to be here and uh, chat a bit more about the work we're, we're doing at the okay. minute. Well, we're, we've got a reasonably limited time, but at the same time, I want to get as much as possible in about the helpline, what it does, who it's for, what your experience has been and so on. So maybe you could just lead us in by telling us how it came about, how long it's been there and um, what sort of response you're getting. Sure. Yeah. So um, it was uh, mid-March where we met as a group in Bernardo's um, and were, you know, seeing what was happening in Ukraine and, you know, felt very strongly that as an organization, we needed to, to do something um, to support families and young people. Um, so we made a pretty bold decision um, to, to move very quickly. And we, we, um, we set up what we're calling the Ukrainian support helpline. And we, so we met together on a Thursday and by, by Monday, the, the helpline was up and running mm-hmm. and we had all the infrastructure in place and we had the staff in place. Um, and since, since then, it's, um, the numbers have really grown. Um, to date, we've had just over uh, 7,000 contacts to the helpline and that's through, through telephone or, or email. Um, yeah, that's we, in just three months, yeah? yeah? Yeah, that's in three months. Okay. So we're seeing about 800, 800 contacts a week. Um, okay, so give us a little bit more detail then about it. Now, uh, I mean, this is staffed. What sort of time of day? All day or some of the day? Yeah, so we're we're ten to eight during the week, uh, ten a.m. to eight p.m. during the week, and then ten to three at the weekends. Uh, and we're we're looking to to expand that even further to include um, Sundays and, and potentially later in the evening as well. Okay, and the staff at Bernardo's actually are there. And um, have they had any particular training for this? Any particular extra help? Yeah, I mean the the staff that we have it's it's a real real diverse team. Um, they speak a range of range of languages. A lot of them are, are bilingual. Um, we have a group of volunteers that are coming on board as well to to help us, uh, and they speak Russian and Ukraine, which is you know mm-hmm. great great to have those um, language skills. And the staff that we have, I mean, they come from a range of backgrounds. So we've got um, counsellors, therapists, um, family support workers, social workers. Yeah, so there's a real real mix of... That sounds uh, a good skills. range of people. Yeah. 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 Okay, well, look, let, let's get drilled down a little bit into the detail. From your experience, I know it's only been three months, but it's certainly been quite a comprehensive number of people that have got in touch with you. Who... Are the people getting in touch with the helpline? And what have you found so far? So it, it's really, for us, we've seen a bit of a shift. Um, when we started in early um, early March, it was mostly um, host families within the UK who were contacting us and you know, wanting to know about how they could um, host a family mm-hmm. um, and understand the, the visa requirements and you know, everything that they would need to be able to um, take in a, a family. Um, and then over time, that's that's moved to a mix mix of hosts and then um, 
families that are planning to come to the UK. So we would get a few contacts from people um, who are in Ukraine or in Poland or, or you know, neighboring countries who want who want to know how they can safely come um, to the UK and be part of these schemes. And now we're actually seeing um, now that a large number of families have have come and have arrived and are with host families or with family members. We're getting probably more contacts now from um, uh, Ukrainian families uh, themselves yeah. mm-hmm. um, okay. that are that are contacting us for for support, and that's anything from really setting up, you know, navigating the all the UK systems and um, you know everything that's involved in that from from uh, looking at you know claiming benefits or how to get a job, how to access healthcare, and really all those you know the practical supports that people need as well. Mm. No, it's only I know it's only been three months, but at the same time, as you just indicated there, I suspect there are emerging issues from what you and your staff are picking up. Um, could you give us a sense of, I mean, apart from the practicalities that you just outlined? some of the more personal things that you're picking up in terms of the emotional impact? Yeah, so, we, I mean, we very quickly were contacted by, um, you know, families and also hosts that were you know, really concerned about the, you know, the families that they had, they had taken in. And um, they were, you know, they would tell us about families who arrived who were very upbeat and, you know, glad to be here and glad to be somewhere safe um, but very quickly um, you know families or host families were seeing a decline in people's well-being um, and it was almost as if the the reality of what has happened is you know starts to set in um, and you know and we know that from a lot of the work we, we've done as a as a charity with you know asylum seeking families and refugee families mm-hmm. um, that there's a there is a lot of trauma there um, from you know what people have experienced, and we're seeing now um, that families have arrived and they're settled. Um, you know the reality of what they've what they've been through and what they've seen is is starting to set in. Um, so that's something we're consciously aware of and looking at how, um, as an organisation, we can we we can support families, and we're doing that in lots of different ways um, mm. ways at the minute. Um, but I suppose as well for hosts as well, it's about um, it, it's amazing the the amount of people that have um, come forward and said yes, we want to host, and this has happened very quickly. But we're seeing hosts coming to us, and um, they're not really prepared for what um, they've got themselves into, um, and they're, and they're seeing families who are traumatized and very distressed and. And they maybe don't have the the skills or the training to be able to 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 support them with, um, or understand that cycle of trauma that that families are going through. I think so. I mean, I think I'm remembering a little bit about a conversation I had with you before. I mean, my understanding from what you said was that many of the hosts, after that first rush of kind of you know of um, humanitarianism, if you like, or the first rush of kind of altruism to kind of look after the refugees and take advantage of the situation, have found some very distressed, disturbed, and if you like, damaged people that although they're grateful to the host for taking care of them, have got so many other complex trauma-related issues that the hosts are struggling considerably. Now, how do you manage to kind of 
somehow help them with that? Do you have you got good links with local authorities? How how are you actually kind of sharing that? Yeah, we do, and, and you know we're we're sharing a lot of the learning and the you know what we're seeing with um, you know government departments, so they're you know they're kept informed of you know the, the trends and, and what we're seeing. Um, we're I mean a lot a lot of our advisors are, are are doing you know support work with hosts and families as well to help hosts understand you know why a family may present in a way they present or why um, they may have appeared. Uh, in good spirits last week, and they're you know they're they're maybe um, very upset this week. So you know we're working with them to to help them understand that and how they can um, support um, families. Um, and through our therapeutic work we're doing, um, you know we're we're offering that uh, counselling support to not only um, refugee families and, and and children, but we're also offering that in in groups to to hosts. Well, let, let's go into that a little bit further yeah. because I know it's called your. It's an in-house service you have, and it's called Link. It is, um, and you know, could you just outline a little bit of the practicalities of it? What's on offer? Yeah. And what your experience so far has been of people taking up your um, offer? So, I suppose a bit of a bit of context to this. Um, we, I mean, back. Back in 2020, middle of the pandemic, we we set up a, a separate helpline, and part of the um, delivery of the model of that helpline was to offer young people this um, virtual counselling or virtual psychotherapy support mm-hmm. um, by fully qualified psychotherapists. Yeah, so we have um, we use a service called Link within uh, Bernardo's, which are fully qualified um, counsellors and psychotherapists, and they offer this digitally. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time of the pandemic, that was, you know, that was the offer that um, was available to anybody. Um, we, you know, face-to-face counselling wasn't wasn't available. Um, so our, the link therapists offer this um, virtually. So it's either through telephone or through um, some uh, platform like Zoom or, or something like that. Mm. So we're offering, um, it's eight sessions, really. So it's really one, once a week. Um, and they, yeah, they're with um, qualified uh, counsellors or therapists through, Who, through who's Link. Tending, who's tending to be the recipients mainly? Is it Ukrainians? Is it young Ukrainians? Is it host yeah, families? You know, it's, I'm not, it, yeah. it's a mix. So the, the individual offer is for um, uh, refugee families. So it's mostly parents um, or, you know, we're seeing some um, referrals coming through now for young people as well. Mm. Um, you know, we, we see themes there of you know, just young people struggling to adapt to, uh, you know, moving to a new country and, um, you know, a different schooling system, you know, struggling, feeling isolated, making friends, you know, and, and again, you know, we're seeing the, you know, the effects of that as well, where parents tell us they've noticed you know, young people are very withdrawn or, you know, there's an increase in self-harming with young people. Um, so that we see that, that that psychotherapy offer that we can offer very quickly, you know, signing somebody up with a, a counsellor within, you know, one to two weeks and get those sessions started. Um, it's something we're, we're very proud of. We know what the waiting lists are like at the minute for mental health services. Well, um, there is that, yeah, because they were always stretched beyond limits yeah. before yeah. even before this weren't they they were 
So that's um, that's that's the offer for um, you know families and young uh, and young and young refugees. The offer for host families is is in a group. Uh, it's a group therapy, um, so it allows them to meet, talk about their experiences, talk about what they're seeing, um, and also talk to other hosts as well. If the, you know if they're experiencing the same um, the same issues, and so there's a bit of peer support then involved in it. Um, and so the sessions facilitated by one of our um, psychotherapists and also one of our helpline advisors that you know can advise on the, on the more practical side of things as well. Hmm. I I do remember you telling me something before, which essentially boiled down to the fact that there's not one size fits all when it comes to our refugee. And effectively, when we're looking at the Ukrainian situation, in some cases it can be a bit different because many of the Ukrainian families literally have got things to go back to and want to go back. Um, They're not ungrateful for people looking after them and taking care and offering them homes, but it's unlike some of the other refugees that come to our shores where their entire um, life has been destroyed in the country they came from and they were under threat back there as well um, if, if they ever went back there. In this case, the Ukrainians obviously are waiting for the end of the conflict and then really they, they want to go back. Is that is that fair? Yeah, I think there, there's, there is a definite sense of that. Um, and we, we do see it, you know, a slight difference to what, you know, what you, you mentioned there about, you know, asylum seeking families that potentially come here and what they've, um, mm. they're coming, you know, they're coming here to, to, to stay here and to have, you know, potentially have a better life here. A lot of the um, Ukrainian families will, you know, they will tell us about the um, the the good job that they had, and um, you know, the wonderful house that they had, um, mm. and the, and they would, you know, they tell us they're not here because they want to be here; they're here because they have no option, and you know, they're they're forced to be here, um, mm. and they they do have a hope that they will be able to return. It's a difficult emotional situation. I can understand that because there's all of what you just said. But of course, at the same time, I I can appreciate they're also grateful for people who are offering them a home in the meantime. But it's it's almost like they've they've still got this kind of um, internal conflict to to go through about everything and relatives that are back home still under threat, I presume. Yeah, and we're we're seeing more frequently now that um, families that have come are wanting relatives to actually come um, now mm-hmm. as well so there is that definite fear of other you know and worry about other friends and family members that are um that are in ukraine and that yeah. you know obviously there, there's that worry about uh, their their well-being as well well talk to me about another group because i'm wondering if there's been much of a take-up i i really totally understand you've only been doing it for three months but i mean like but with all the thousands of people and contacts you've had i i I would look to you to give us a more of a, a, a sense of things. Unaccompanied, uh, vulnerable um, refugees, whether they be children or vulnerable adults, are now beginning to come in. Um, I, I was hearing about this the other day. You know, they're beginning yeah. to take in young people on their own. And for me, uh, as I think we discussed before, you know, I'm trying to push together an initiative to get. Uh, Ukrainians who worked in the care sector here embedded as advisors with social workers in this country to to kind of help to um, kind of translate, if you like, um, the whole movement from the Ukraine to the UK, as well as improve communication, make people feel at home, you know, the whole thing. 
but that would require quite a considerable input of resource. But on the other hand, we know here that there's going to be a, a greater influx of unaccompanied young people. What, what's your take on that? So this this has been I mean this has been something that's been um, in the pipeline for um, for a while. Um, we're seeing at the minute things. There has been a delay, on particularly with unaccompanied young people. I suppose our, our concern would be how quickly things do happen. Mm. Um, there's, there's always been the concern about um, checks, um, particularly when there's you know vulnerable young people yeah. involved, and making sure that all those those checks are in place and and, and are done properly, that are not um, you know are not rushed through. Um, we're, I mean, what we're I suppose concerned about is. Um, the, there's obviously a cost of living crisis going on in the UK as well. Mm. Um, with homes for Ukraine, families have been, you know, are, are asked to to host for six months, and we're looking ahead to the future then and saying, you know, what happens what, then? What happens after that? Or yeah. Will families be able to, you know, keep hosting? Um, and particularly then, if, if there's unaccompanied young people involved there, what what is the impact then if, if families are no longer able to um, to look yeah. after them? And preventing um, criminality. I mean, there is that um, aspect. Yeah, well. and, and we have, you know, we, we have seen that, and we saw that very quickly. Um, there was real concerns around um, young people in particular. Um, all lots and lots of Facebook groups were set up. Um, families wanted their wanted children to be safe yeah um and they were um you know you, you could see the masses of people that were were saying yes i you know i live in the uk i i can i can look after your child and you know that those kind of groups are are very very concerning um out out of the the huge numbers of people here are genuine there is there are the risks of you know exploitation there as well um so to have a proper channel for and accompany young people to come to the UK through proper checks is, you know, is definitely what is what is needed. Well, what are you doing at the moment, for example, if if you have a a, a call from say somebody who either is or tells you about a young person that they're not quite sure about circumstances? I mean, what what's your route to support in terms of whether it's local authority or law enforcement or whatever? I mean. Have you got good channels yourselves? We did, yeah. I mean, we, we do we do link in very closely with um, local authorities who are are very much aware of our service uh, and what mm. we're doing and what we can offer as well. And and they're um, and they're signposting you know families to us for where we can support. Mm. Um, but we are, yeah, we're we're linking in very closely with um, local authorities. Have uh, you know haven't had to with law enforcement at this um, at this well, stage. Come. Um, but we, yeah, but we are seeing, you know, those. Um, we're making more referrals through to, to social care, particularly where we're seeing breakdowns in, in family relationships. Um, you know, we're seeing an increase in homelessness then, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and that's you know that's going to be a real that's going to be a real issue if there's going to be an increase in you know families that um, hosts can no longer take them. Yeah, and there could, there could be a huge increase in actual arrivals as well. We just don't know which way things are, are yeah. going. And I've been talking, uh, as you may know, with Missing Children Europe, 
which is quite an extent, have an extensive network in about 30 countries. And the refugee situation all across Europe is terribly worrying in terms of the um, sad opportunities it seems to be giving to organised crime for all the kind of crimes that we associate with um, uh, people preying on the young and the vulnerable. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, when when we are people listening to this podcast, we, we will have at the front of it all your contact details, um, not just, of course, the helpline, but also an explanation a bit about what the helpline does, who they are, and how they can help. Um, are you expecting to grow exponentially uh, as you people become more aware of you? I would imagine you are. Yeah, we are, and we're saying it. You know, we're saying the the calls are um, the calls are increasing, um, and and I think what we're seeing now is as well that the calls are are becoming more complex. Um, yeah. And it, it it's great that we can do that. Um, can um, almost family support work in a in a digital way. Mm. Um, and it's the, I mean, our, our model is when somebody contacts, they will be the advisor that they speak to will be the advisor that works with them. And that can be over a number of calls that could be, you know, five, six calls and that they will work with that um, advisor to support them um, with whatever their need is. Um, and we know that's a way that when we, when we set up our various helplines, we look at what, what makes us different to other helplines out there. And that's one thing we wanted to, particularly when you're working with um, you know, you know, refugees, it's, it's really about building that trust with people. And we know that that, that, that works in that model where they have one dedicated advisor who potentially speaks their language, understands their you know, cultural background, um, and will work with them over a, a number of calls. So that does put an element of pressure on, on our team. Um, when we're seeing the numbers of calls are are increasing and, and the issues are, they're often complex and they're often some of the issues that people can't find readily available information on on you know just by searching the web. You've got a fairly good broad kind of range of of um, expertise available within your your staff as you were outlining both in communication and in in just in 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 general kind of therapeutic experience but what help do you need what more do you need to uh, improve the service would you say i I mean uh, i suppose one of the one of the obvious factors is that the the, you know we set this up in in four days using voluntary Mm -hmm. funds you know, sure. we don't, we don't, have, we don't have any. There's no government funding for this, um, and I know it is something government are looking at. You know, should there be a, a dedicated helpline um, out there? And which there isn't. Let's be honest. Which, I mean, which there's, there's no government one, is there? Which, which you know, which, which there isn't, and, and voluntary organisations are working tirelessly um, to fill that to fill that gap. Um, it's nice of government to let you get on with it unfettered isn't it I mean but I said I know that Bernardas are uh, being a national charity you know I've, I've got a good track record but at the same time it does seem to be quite some time in being responded to by government at the moment is that fair I, th- I think that is um that is fair I know there's there are a lot of conversations going on you know in the background but um 
you know, when, when you're working with voluntary funds, there's a there's a limit to that. Yeah. Um, and sure. you know, we're looking at this and we're seeing this what's happening in Ukraine could go on for a number of years, and mm. um, you know, this isn't something that's going to disappear in a number of months. I don't think so. I mean, obviously, people can can kind of support Bernardo's, you know, by funding. Is the helpline a specific funding um, sort of target, or would it just? Be it is. Helpful? We have. I mean, we have an emergency children's um, fund um, that will that the money will go towards um, hmm. any national crisis, and obviously, the, the war in Ukraine um, is one. Um, you know, previously the emergency children's fund supported young people affected by the pandemic. Um, so at at the minute, yeah, voluntary funds um, that are that come come through that channel will will go towards our work supporting um, you know ref, refugee families, of which the the helpline is is one way we're doing well, that. Details of that I I'm, I will have, and we will put on the front text of this podcast obviously with all the other contact details as well as a quick summary of what you're doing and um, that will be put up I assure you about how to help Bernardo's in this how to fund it um, your helpline whatever with about a minute or two left on the podcast um, what would you actually like to say to people who are listening to this who either might be within the Ukrainian communities themselves or within host families themselves or within the authorities? Because, you know, you can't carry this on alone. No, I mean, that that is, um, in terms of government funding, is, is something we, you know, if we were able to um, source, secure that, um, this is such a vital, you know, a service. We're seeing it through the numbers of calls we're getting. Hmm. Um, there's a real need Um you know, to, to support the to support these families, um, and you know we're we're seeing the government do that in in, in lots of different ways, um, but it is it does come down to you know it, it comes down to money, um, and just spreading the word that the helpline is the helpline is there. We're available, you know, to host families as as well as refugee families. Okay, well, look, Andrew, thanks ever so much for actually talking to us today about it. As I said, I'll put the details on the front of the podcast, but presumably you'll also be giving me kind of um, site details about where people can go and look a bit more in a bit more kind of detail at, at um, what Bernardas are doing about this and, you know, contact details, obviously helpline yeah. details, how to support it financially, but at yeah. the same time, giving people a sense of the complexity, as you said, it's not just phone up and get some practicalities about kind of... Um, uh, welfare funding, it's, it's, it's more kind of the huge emotional traumatic impact and upset that's taking all these people, you know, uh, and it's going to take them years to get over. Absolutely. So I think yeah. people should say thank you to you for doing it. And uh, we'll make sure that all the contact details are there. And thanks for speaking to us today, Andrew. Great. It's good, good to chat with you. Okay. Cheers.